0: My name is Slim. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic and delighted to, to see you all. Um, if I haven't yet got to meet with you, I'd love to meet with you one-on-one. Um, and I would love for you to just surprise us and visit us out of the blue with Jada and Alina here just coming out of the blue. Uh, what a wonderful gift that is. Um, but another gift that is wonderful is the gift of sports. Do you guys like sports? No. <laughs> I've lost some of you. Uh, the gift of of go team chiefs okay Uh, they just said team general um one of the gifts of sports is the emphasis on teamwork um and it's one of those things that it's just it's it's a beautiful thing but very very clearly sports can also be the worst and it can be terrible and people can do ugly terrible things and i also think there's this great quote by uh John Paul II, uh, Pope John Paul II, he says, out of all the unimportant things, football is the most important. (laughs) So the Pope tells us, out of all the unimportant things, football, and and he's referring to what the rest of the world calls football, soccer, uh, or football, Uh, football is the most important. And I think we could all uh, relate to that, right? We're like, we all see how unnecessary sports are. Like, you have an inflated ball, a ball that has air in it, and it has to get across a line. And if it does that, ooh, my weekend is made. <laughs> I am better than you. I am justified. I went to the right university. And when, I, when it doesn't happen, uh, what are we doing anymore? Like, I... This, is, this whole fall was, was, was trash, right? This whole fall, whether you're a Baylor fan or whether you're an Adam fan or a general sports fan, at the end of the year, you realize if you're not the winner, uh, it's all the worst. And so whether it's getting a inflated circular object or cone-like object across a line or into a hoop or at the back of the net, whatever it may be, we realize how unimportant sports are. Um, and yet, I remember when I was in high school, being taught the values that you can learn from sports and one of the the, i mean i just remember how beautiful and actually to this day critical it was to my understanding of how to work in the world to be able to be in the trenches with people i had to rely on while the enemy was coming against us and so i had to learn how to rely on someone i had to learn how to communicate with someone i had to learn how to challenge someone and encourage someone Sports kind of become this nice little microcosm of life. It's a little petri dish to help us work some things out. It's very, very helpful in that way. Yes, it can be used very, very uh, unimportantly and things like that, but I, th- I think it is helpful. But I don't really want to talk about sports this morning. That's not the sermon. Um, the, the title of the sermon is Teamwork, A Case for Equality Across Genders teamwork a case for equality across genders now the reason we want to talk about this is because we're in kind of a two-week break between very heavy or long sermon series Uh, so we just finished the book of isaiah over a year we have about two week break before we begin the sermon on the mount which will be another year uh, or half Uh, and it's just funny how that works but that's what we're doing Um, and what we're talking about here is something that is very near and dear to my heart I wanted. It's kind of like, hey, here's a free Sunday. What do we think our church needs to hear, and what we need to all uh, need to embody? And I'm just was thinking, what is so critical to the flourishing of our community than us learning to have teamwork across genders, across the spectrum here? And so this is the this is the drumbeat that I, I want to hit over and over and over, and we get in this rhythm this morning. We want to talk about unity and diversity, unity and diversity, in essence and in homes. So unity, diversity. That's something we'll be hitting over and over and over uh, throughout this sermon this morning. And so in essence. Now, when we talk about this, sometimes people will want to tune out. They're like, oh, a sermon on equality of genders. And they're like, okay, so this is going to be a sermon for married folks. Nope, Uh, it is. But this sermon is for whether you are married or whether you are single, whether you are old or whether you're young. Every single one of us, if we are a Christian man, we need to th- know how we look at women. If we are a Christian woman, we need to know how we then look at men. There is a, something that is critical for us to understand as human beings at our very essence, at our very core, at our very core, at our very subatomic level, We are equal. We are equal. Do we believe this? We are are, are very, we talk about this ontologically. At the very beginning, there is something that is same. There is something that is equal and there's a unity for us. And if you don't believe that, most people don't come outright and say, I don't believe that. Uh, That usually gets a lot of frowns. But subliminally, we believe that and we think some are more or less important and so if that's where you're at i just would point you to the bible um, but also specifically genesis genesis 1 27 we read it earlier uh, in our liturgy so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them now the word there In his own image, this image of God is where theologians have gotten this term, the imago Dei. Have you heard that before? I hope if you've been here at Mosaic for a while, something we like to hit very often, that it is the imago Dei. It's the Latin term for the image of God. And so God created men, male and female. It made it very specific there. I don't know if you saw that, because in case we were wondering, only one got the image of God? No, male and female. He created them in the image of God And what that means is that every single person is like a little mirror reflecting the glory of the Lord here on earth. And so every single person, male and female, has inherent dignity and value. And so we need to know our own value and know our own worth and know each other's own value and worth at our very, very core And so God is trying to make this up absolutely clear from the very beginning of the Bible. That's how he's created us. And the minute we see someone as less than that, as someone who does not have the Imago Dei, is the minute we will start to dehumanize them. We will start to do some ugly, ugly, atrocious things that have happened throughout history. You can see this in political rhetoric. You can see this all the time. The minute you call someone an animal, you are now paving the road for some horrific things to happen to them. You can see that all throughout history. You can see it most recently where the former Israeli ambassador to the UN described Palestinians as inhuman animals. So now why not do whatever it takes to eradicate them? You can, let's not just look outward, we can look at our own country, and the way we as as a country have looked at at, at Afro-Americans and called them chattel, as property. So now, we are justified in whatever we do because it's property. You can think of, of the way the Hutus called the Tutsis in Rwanda cockroaches to be stamped out. The minute we, we remove someone's imago day, it just, it, it, it paves the road for the plane of dehumanization to take off. And it doesn't just happen in war. This happens in just the way we see one another. If, if, if you see the opposite sex as just a piece of meat, then of course you will look at the opposite sex that way and you will rate them up or down on that, and then that plays into our body image issues that we have all throughout our culture. When we take the Imago day away, we take so much away. This verse is critical to how we, we flourish as a society, as a church. I had a mentor once tell me, and it was one of the most, it was the hardest thing in the moment. I was I was lamenting to him how hard it was to work with some of these, with some people in my ministry. And he says, you think you're better than them, don't you? And I was like, oh. this, by the way, this wasn't this ministry. This was this is back in North Carolina. Just here, <laughs> this church of mine. <laughs> Make sure I put that primary in there. And he says, "You think you're better than them, don't you?" He says, "It is impossible for you to love anyone you think you're better than." And I was just like, oh, and I start crying. I'm like right it it changes everything if I think I'm better than you it it is impossible to love you I think I could say it this way the angle affects the view if your angle looking down at someone is going to affect the way you view them as a human being also likewise if you see someone and you see them so much better than you it's going to affect your view of them and also your own body image right the angle is going to affect the view the minute we elevate ourselves above someone it is going to become impossible to love them and whenever that becomes true we've seen throughout history there is disastrous effects just disastrous effects and so there is unity between men and women at our core. And that's been very clear from the beginning of the Bible. And you could say, oh, no, that's Old Testament. I don't want to deal with that. Uh, That things have changed. If that's your view of the Bible, we have another sermon to talk about of the the unity of Scripture. But let's go to the New Testament. And let's talk about Galatians 3.28. This was read already. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. One in Christ Jesus. Oh, there's a beautiful beautiful just song being sung right here that we are one. You too is singing it like we are one, right? There's 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 equality, there is unity. Yes, there are categories that the categories here are listed, Jew, Gentile, we could say in our context and because of our history, we could say black and white. We could say there is there is none of that in one level, right? That we are one, or you could say male and female, meaning that there are no hierarchies because there are no hierarchies in the kingdom of God. There are no hierarchies and elevations in the kingdom of God. It is dealing away. It doesn't mean the distinctions are gone. The distinctions exist. We're not saying colorblind. We're not saying that. The distinctions exist, but the distinctions do not have power. The distinctions do not grade us up or down some some lever. And so this is the foundation I want us to see here. Before we even talk about how this plays out in our homes, before we even talk about how this plays out in the church on another sermon, that we have to see that at our very core that we are equal, that there is unity, absolute unity. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Well, um, I think some p- people believe we're playing a different game. I think some people play, believe them over there, they can play chess while we over here play real sports. They over there can, can deal with this while we over here make decisions. There is a ways that this plays out where we elevate and put people down and we change our angles of how we look at one another and then it it paves the road for dehumanization to happen. No, there's no no hierarchies in the kingdom of God. And so there is unity, but I also want us to see that there's diversity. Male and female. Let's go back to creation. God creates Adam, and Adam is there, and he's creating all, or he's not creating, he's naming all the creatures that God had created, and there's something wonderful about how many names did he come up with? And because there's so many creatures for, God, for Adam to name. We don't know how this all works out. But verse 20, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, Carl and, 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 and Chad and uh, the birds, <laughs> probably to their kind, cow and things like that, right? Mexican tree frog. Uh, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But this says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, that word there, helper, has been misused and abused so much. We're just going to talk about all the most controversial passages in one sermon. (laughs) Don't worry, we're getting to Ephesians. Uh, (laughs) No suitable helper was found. And so many times, this is the way men throughout history have seen women. As the helper in that translation, they would say it as the servant or the maid. And that is, that is the history of the world, really. That we see women as, as less than and as our assistants. You know that word there, helper? It's the Hebrew word ezer or ezer. We have that up there for you? Ezer. It is a, the word there means military ally. Hmm, that seems a lot better than what we've been using it as and many times throughout scripture that word helper is actually being ref- referred to god god as the helper god as the helper to israel psalm thirty-three twenty, 20 psalmist says our soul waits for the lord he is our help and our shield and so if i went to Kevin. And I said, hey, Kevin, my, my, my car broke down. Uh, I need some help. Can you help me? One, Kevin would probably do it because it's just who he is. Um, and he would come over. And now Kevin helping me does not negate any strength on his part. In fact, I think it hi- highlights his strength and what he can do and what I can't do, right? It, it, it highlights what is needed here. And so that word ezard does not at all diminish one or the other. They are still equal. It is a help because something is incomplete at that moment. Okay? That is critical for us to see. Now, Ezer also means, it also emphasizes a suitable fit, which can mean like opposite in that way. And so you can think of like pu- puzzle pieces coming together. You can think of Legos clicking together, That these, the, the Ezer and these the suitable fits. Now, um, say it this way. We're talking about teamwork. You guys have heard of this character, Steph Curry? Have you heard of him before? If you don't know, he's probably the world's greatest basketball shooter ever. Uh, He's completely changed the game. He's phenomenal. If you had Steph Curry on your team, you're probably going to win some games, just the way it is. Now, What if I, in my free time that I have throughout the week, and just say, I know, I'll learn how to clone things. And I clone Steph Curry, and it works. And now, not only do you have Steph Curry on your team, you have five Steph Currys on your team. How great would that be if you're just like, (laughs) I'm going to own so many people, right? I would say you'd probably win more games with five Steph Currys on your team. However, I actually don't think you'll win the NBA championship with five Steph Currys on your team. Because Steph Curry, for all his strengths, as the greatest shooter of all time, he's kind of a small kid. (laughs) A kid. He's kind of a small dude. He he doesn't really play defense well. And so when LeBron starts charging down the middle, no one's stopping LeBron if you have five Steph Currys, right? And so you need a team that actually can balance and, and care for one another well. And so then I, I threw out the idea, well, you might say, well, you have, let's have five LeBrons. And Malcolm tried to argue with me. He's like, no, 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 I think five LeBrons would win. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, fine, five Shaqs. He's like, I don't know. He's like, but definitely, if you have five Wendy's, you're winning the championship. And I am like, okay, this is besides the point, Malcolm, just give me sermon review. <laughs> the point is, we need a good team. We need a team that can balance one another out, like opposite uh, in this way. And so we have, we have differing strengths the way we will play off one another. Adam needed a suitable fit, a military ally that was like opposite him, equal and yet distinct. And now let me emphasize this point to, to everyone in the back. Maybe you, you don't hear or uh, if you just, I need to wake up. Let me say it this way, if at any point our differences elevate one gender above the other, we're doing it wrong. If at any point we elevate our differences to make one gender have a domineering power over the other, we're doing it wrong, and then we've missed the first point. That at our core, there is unity. So let's affirm distinctions, but not elevate them to put others down. And so some want to say it like this. Okay, yeah, 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 I'm colorblind. As I said before, we're not affirming colorblind. Like someone overemphasize the unity and say like, I don't see color. I don't see black or white. We're all equal. And like on one level, hallelujah, imago Dei in every single person. Like, yes, we want to emphasize that. But I think we also need to recognize the value that our culture has placed on these distinctions because that has played into the history of our world. And if we just say, I don't see any of those distinctions, means we're saying, I don't see the history and I don't see how, what our culture has done with our history, how that has created an avenue for such utterly grave consequences for these inequalities. So we need to be able to see these distinctions, but not elevate them one way or the other. We need to be able to honor and respect those distinctions. Um, I mean... Some of y'all say, in, in, in terms of gender here, like, well, I don't see woman, I don't see male or female either, and I want to say, okay, yay, glad we're we're, we're emphasizing the the imago dei again, and yet, I, like, I want to be able to teach my boys how to honor and respect a woman uniquely. I think there's some value in that, right? I think we need to be able to do both here, and so let's talk about unity and diversity in all these areas. Let's talk about it now in our homes married folks we're talking to you but single folks this is really really important as well not just because you can see what's happening within a marriage but because the beliefs that happen around this area have now spilled over into the rest of culture good or bad about that into the way we view one another and so i think this is really really important so first let's talk about unity Ephesians 5 is the place everyone wants to go to to talk about the distinctions between male and female and the distinctions of roles. Um, And we'll we'll talk about those in a second. But I want to say, I would argue that Paul actually begins and emphasizes the unity that we have. So Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, whew. Submit to one another. I think at this point, we just need to say, all males in the room, raise your right hand and come on, come on, males. Raise your right hand and say, I solemnly swear I will submit to my wife. <laughs> Woo, yeah. How did that feel? How does that feel? I think many of us go, oh gosh, please don't do that. Please don't. Now we have to say, how do we feel like women feel when the next verse is used over and over and over to talk about the relationships between male and female? Because the next verse, Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's there in scripture. And so, but many men only point to 522 and say, here's how our relationship works. When the previous verse says, submit to one another, and in fact, the word here in verse 22, the verb submit is mysteriously missing. Do we have the slide without the word there? There we go. The word in the Greek is not there. It's being borrowed from verse 21. So now we have to see how interconnected this is and how important it is for us to see these verses together when many want to separate them and just say, wives, submit to husbands. Yes, there is a, there's a submission, but there is a mutual submission. And that's the point. There is a mutual submission. There is what we might call teamwork that is happening with one another. This month is Native American uh, Heritage Month, and one of the things that we want to do throughout this month is, is try to refer to the First Nations translation uh, as often as we can. And I, I do love this this translation of this verse here uh, for Ephesians five twenty one. It says, "If you have respect for the chosen one, then have respect for each other." Ooh, I love that. We can. We our culture has has almost ruined some words and we i feel like we've almost ruined the word submit and so there's something beautiful about saying have respect for one another love one another there's like there's a beauty of the mutuality and the care that's just wrapped up in that that version and i love that because there is no hierarchy there there is unity in the home and there is no gender hierarchy and if we if we miss point one then of course there's going to be hierarchy in our homes I think many of us might affirm point one, that there's a unity, and yet we still have hierarchy in our homes. Like, there is differences, but I think the trouble is is when we universalize those differences, right? The trouble is when we universalize those differences and say scripture universalizes the differences between male and female. Like, if we were to say all men should be the ones to take out the trash and all women should fill in the blank before I get myself in trouble. (laughs) Already, we are now imposing upon Scripture our culture's views of what it should be. Like, we have to ask ourselves, why are we letting our culture guide us in this way? All Scripture affirms is the mutuality and the teamwork that's supposed to be there, not the specific roles. They're like opposite. They fit well together. Chris and I, Kristen and I, my wife, are very, very different. She's an Enneagram one, I'm an Enneagram nine. She's a, an introvert, I'm an extrovert. But you know what? We have like the same humor. <laughs> we, we just crack each other up. We, some might say we have an eighth grade humor. Um, <laughs> she didn't like that when I told her I was gonna say that. <laughs> See, we're different. But we, we, like literally yesterday, we were finished at each other's sentences, and it was like, this is weird. This stop, right? There is, a, a, there, there is an opposite attraction, right? There is a like opposite, but there's also something that binds us together, right? And if I were to universalize those differences and say everyone should be like that, then now I'm imposing upon the world what I think is actually just true of our, our marriage here. And so I think we need to check our motives when we do impose these categories on the world. And just a confession, I think a few years ago, I I was very ashamed of this. That I, I, though affirmed the unity that we have, I think when she would ask me to go take some of our kids to these doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and different things, I was begrudgingly saying yes, because that's what Enneagram Nines do. (laughs) Sure, everything's fine. Sure, everything's fine. But I was getting more and more frustrated every time she would ask, because I saw it as only her role. This is what you do, not what we do. And it was just—it revealed a, a, a rot that was growing in my own heart, of an ugliness, the way our marriage was, and it was not okay. That needed to be pulled out, and. I I love counseling. Go to a counselor. (laughs) These are things for us to talk through. And so I I want us to all realize that I don't think I'm alone in this. I think many of us struggle with some version of that, that rot that is growing, that we have to put before the Lord. And so at this point, some of you guys might object and go, I don't know, this feels pretty radical. What about about 1 Corinthians 11.3? But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And that is a tough verse. If you read it in a way that makes you think of Bill Gothard's uh, umbrella image. Have you seen this image before? This is old, old, old. You may not be able to read it on that, uh, on that but you've probably heard some version of this. That you have this umbrella with Christ at the top, then you have the husband, then you have the wife and the children, Right? The weird thing is that the rain is still going around and yet through (laughs) the first umbrella. (laughs) Don't know how those physics work, Bill. um, That's the one part we'll laugh at because the rest of it is pretty, it has been, I think it's ruined, ruined marriages. I think it's been very, very detrimental to our world in seeing things that way that there is this hierarchy Of men, women under them, and then children. Why? Well, if if you see someone, if you if you if you if you put someone down, you're paving the way for for dehumanization to happen. And some of y'all are in this church this morning, and you've you've experienced the thorns of that type of relationship, and it 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 is just ravaging families. And so you've seen it firsthand. Where a man can say, I can do whatever I want because I'm in charge. Some of y'all have seen it in the reverse, where patriarchy, which is what this is, where patriarchy has now hurt and abused the men. Don't hear me equate these things. But putting that much pressure on a man to be the one leader of a home who can say, "I I don't need any help because I'm the one leader. Versus asking for help and sharing the load. Like this is, it is it just, it's destroyed our society in so many ways. And, and for some reason, church leaders have then applied this thing that they think is referring to a marriage. We think, we believe, is wrong view of this. And then they've, they've put it out for the rest of the world and say, well, now women can't be over men in the military or in different things. And you're like, what? This is why I'm saying it's so important for us, whether we're married or single, to understand these passages because it affects everything so well what do we do with that first corinthians 11 passage let's put it back up there but i want you to realize that the head of every man is christ and the head of the woman is man the head of christ is god well i i think there is a way to understand this verse head you could be talking about the physical head which doesn't really make sense in this passage you could talk about source which i do argue um, or you could be talking about the top, which is what Bill Gothard argues. That's the, the top, like a hierarchy of like a board of directors, right? But I do believe the word there is actually source. And so let's translate it here with the word source. But I want you to realize that the source of every man is Christ. And the source, like the source of a, the head of a river, the source of the river, the source of the woman is man, and the source of Christ is God. How does that work? The source of every man is Christ. Yes, God created us. The source of every woman is man, meaning she was... Eve was taken from the rib of Adam. That's how she was created. And the source, and, and the source is of, of Christ is God. If we believe that there is hierarchy in this verse, then we believe there's hierarchy in the Trinity. Then we believe that, that God the Father tells the Son what to do. The Son doesn't go willingly die for himself. He is told what to do. And that changes all of our view of how the atonement works. This, This is so important for us to understand this. It's so critical for us to be able to see the way this actually works. And just in case we're missing it, Paul clarifies at the end of this passage in verse 12, For as woman came from man, sounds like source language to me, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. And so it's just absolute equality. I feel like God says, I can't be any clearer that we are on the same team. God is building the dream team. He's building the dream team and he wants you to be a part of it. Because when you win and I, then I win, then we all win. Now let's say you come this morning and you are, are broken. Let's say you come this morning and you realize and I've, been, I've participated in systems that have, that have put the opposite sex down. And I'm just riddled with guilt and shame. I want to invite you to our Savior, Jesus. For while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 told us, while we were still participating in these systems, Christ died for us. There is still time to repent and to change and to make these systems better. Like Jesus came in this world and we have to see one, that Jesus is the creator of both men and women. And we want to say hallelujah. So that's step one. And then two, come to Jesus, Repent. Come to the foot of the cross. Repent. And as we look at Jesus, and as we look at his love for both men and women equally, and oh man, he uplifted women all throughout his ministry. As we look at that, then we will see the love of a Savior who says, I'm I'm covenantally committed to you, even when you've messed up, even when you've done some horrible, ugly things. Because you are a work of art. You've been created in the Imago Dei. You've been trying to destroy my works of art over there, but I will reclaim them as well as you. And so what are we going to do here today? Let me give you three quick applications. I'm over on time. I'm sorry. Let's get practical. First, affirm the Imago Day. Affirm the Imago Day in someone in the opposite sex this week. Find something about the opposite sex in your midst, whether it's in your home or whether it's in your workplace, to be grateful for them and to... Convey that to them. And so affirm the Imago day in the opposite sex. Secondly, I want you to go to to that opposite person and ask the question, whether it's your spouse or a coworker, whoever it may be, but if you are married, I would definitely start there. How can I be a better teammate? Ask that question today. You will have a lot to talk about. How can I be a better teammate? Because we are on the same team. And then three, thirdly, let's celebrate the distinctives. Like, let's actually celebrate the ways that we are different than one of us. I mean, in a church as well, like not just individually, but corporately, let's celebrate our distinctives and who teaches us and who leads us and who sits at the table and who actually gets to vote on things. Like, we should always be finding ways to celebrate our distinctives because I think we actually get a fuller picture of the kingdom when we actually do this. One of the beautiful things about having a youth Sunday is because when you heard the the little kids' voices read Scripture, you're hearing it very differently than when I read Scripture. There's something beautiful in that. So let's celebrate the distinctives. God has made all of us with Imago Dei and is helpful. Let me pray for us.